So we have an amazing conversation. Um, I'm really excited about it, and I know that we're going to all be blessed by being able to hear what's going to come. So I'm just going to pray really quickly, and then um, Pastor David and Reverend Brenda will take over. Amen. Please pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for um, just the way that you have been sweet in this place today. I thank you for, um, for the worship, and I thank you, Lord, for this conversation. Um, I know that, that, that maybe questions have been prepared in advance, but what will be said today, um, let everyone speak by your spirit. We ask that, that even in this, in this space and in this time, your word would go forth and that it would not return to you void. So we are thanking, Lord, for the seeds that you will plant. We ask that they, um, that they are planted in fertile ground and that fruit is produced that will impact your kingdom, that will impact this world in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, good morning. Uh, before we get started and I introduce uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Brenda T., I'm going to ask Sonia Wang to come up and read for us our scripture this morning from Mark chapter 2. And as she comes, would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and to that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the terror worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of God. Man, you can be seated. All right. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, conversation is what we'll go with. I think that's a good way to frame um, our time together. I have known uh, Reverend Dr. Brenda for eight, nine, ten years or so. It's uh, still sort of amazing that you're here with us uh, today in this space. Um, she teaches at Seattle Pacific University. She's on the teaching team at Quest Church in Seattle. She's written uh, numerous books. Uh, one I'll say a little bit more about toward the end, The Roadmap to Reconciliation. And what was the other one right before that called? And then The Heart, for, the Heart of Racial Justice, which I... Highly, highly recommend to you. Um, and there's all kinds of other things I could say to you, but maybe most important is that I'm not sure I would still be here if it were not for her. I think she talked me off the ledge many, many times uh, early on in, in, uh, in, in ministry here and uh, reminded me of things that are good and important and true. And so it is just an, a massive, massive honor to be, um, to be with you today. She is my mentor, and so if she tells me to do something, I do it. And uh, so... Many of the good, beautiful things that God has done through our church, uh, really, you should get the credit for, I think. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to toss some questions uh, towards uh, uh, Dr. Brenda, and, um, and we'll, we'll talk for a few minutes, and then we'll open it up, and we'd love to hear some questions uh, from, uh, from you as well. And so, and so maybe it makes sense to start with that passage. This is a passage you and I have talked about for close to a year now, I think. Um, it's, it's a passage that the Spirit gave to you a little while ago, I think. And so I'm wondering, just as you kind of reflect on your own ministry uh, in racial reconciliation, uh, how you think about this particular season and how you think about Jesus's language about this new thing that's coming, a new thing that requires new wineskins. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying good morning. It really is my honor and my joy to be with you. Um, at this stage of our lives, I think for many of us, but I can say for me for sure, I get to pick where I want to be physically, where I want to show up, because everybody will have an agenda for us. Amen? People who want us to be one place or do something else or whatever, and I am co-opted less. It's a joy of getting older. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, we live in a society that really is enamored with, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be that older person who's like, oh, young. No, there's something to be said for being young. 
Amen. So, and there's great strength in all of that stuff that comes with it. But there is something else about growing older. And I think you figure out who you are, where you want to be, and you stand in it with so much more strength and confidence. And you don't just show up there, you grow there. And so I am exactly where I want to be today. My body, my heart, my spirit is all congruently in one place. And I'm here because I believe so much in this man, this ministry, and what God has called you to be here. And so where I, where I am now in my life is I align myself with people that I believe in. And I align myself with ministries that I truly believe God has called into being. So let me say to you, the thing that the Lord said to me, and I will answer your question, is that, that I've been speaking out loud, and, and this morning as I prepared to be here, I just kept feeling like God was saying, in every word you say, tell the truth. So know that I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to impress you. I hope you like me. But it, it will be all right. <laughs> But my greatest desire is to speak the truth. And you have a man of God here who also is committed to the truth, a leadership team who is committed to the truth, who worships in spirit and in truth. I experienced you today. And so I believe that something about the truth is critical for this congregation. And every word coming out of my mouth is not rehearsed. I didn't know I was going to say that to you. But I beg you to be a congregation committed to the truth because the truth will make us free. Amen. And so this scripture, as you've said, has been like messing with me. Uh, I truly am not sure I fully understand what it means, um, but it's gotten a hold of me. I think about it all the time. It's constantly with me. And for me, it's becoming almost a guiding mantra that old wine, new wine cannot be poured into old wine skins, that whatever God is doing in this season, it's new, it's different. We haven't seen it before. And so when John's disciples came to Jesus and basically said, why don't your disciples do what everybody else is doing? Why isn't new community doing what such and such a place is doing? You know, because we get an idea in our mind of what we think it's supposed to look like. Amen? Amen. Okay, this side is a little too quiet. Y'all did well. But this side, <laughs> they don't know me, huh? Okay, this side, what's up with you? Okay. I'm telling you something. Church is not a spectator sport. Yeah. It really isn't. We're supposed to be like 100% here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. So Amen. we're going to give you 100%, but I need your 100%. Yep. Okay? So you're going to constantly, either consciously or unconsciously, compare yourself to somebody else. And you're going to wonder, just like John's disciples, how come we don't? And you fill in the blank. And all I hear God saying is that new wine, demands new wineskins. So when we hear the word church, we're going to get an idea in our mind of what we think that's supposed to look like. New wine demands new wineskins. Wine when we think of outreach, we're going to get a certain idea in our mind of what we think it's supposed to look like. And I hear God saying new wine demands new wineskins. Something about what God is doing is asking us to be innovative. And it's asking us to think outside the box. And it's asking us to ask new questions of ourselves. And it is much easier to go with what we know, present company included. And so I'm asking you to stretch yourselves. I love being a Christian. It is the thing that makes me who I am. But sometimes I'm frustrated with Christianity. Because it seems like we keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And we're living in a time that's demanding something new. So that's why we're having a conversation today. Because I think we've got to talk about new things, ask new questions, be open to new ways forward, to be willing to come out of the comfort of what we understand, to go into the place of mystery where we'll have to trust Jesus to guide us and we'll have to follow by faith. But something of us is being asked to be a, a little bit more curious, a little bit more brave to not just do what we've done before. So I hope you hear me. And not just me. I feel like God's trying to talk to you. 
And I think you're going to have to even show up differently. Now I'm talking to this side because mm. y'all are distracted by the little girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying show up. Show up. Show up. And be willing to be different. You know your name. You know your personality. You know how you're supposed to act. Stop doing that. Mm. And saying, God, what do you want new of me? What are you asking me to stretch myself into? And it's going to take a lot of courage to break out of the old and to pursue something new. That's why the scripture was read. So for the whole service while I'm here, and I might not come back, so if you don't like me, you don't have to endure me much. But for today, be willing to do something new. Ask a new question. Stand up if you feel like it. Say amen or or go get a drink and come back. But do something that you wouldn't do normally just to break out of the mold because John's disciples were sincere and so are we. And they weren't asking that question to be somehow defiant. They really were wondering, why don't they do what everybody else does? And I think Jesus is saying there was nothing wrong with what happened before. Those wineskins were what was, those wineskins were appropriate for then. They just won't work now. New community, whatever God is asking you to do, whatever you did before won't work now. Mm. She said we take go and take the offering right now. No. <laughs> so you and I have talked a, a lot about this kind this moment, you know, and, and some of uh, sort of how you are experiencing this season, uh, both in what the Spirit is saying to you through the through the scriptures. Uh, but 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 also through circumstances, also through. I mean, you've been in this work for a handful of years now, and you have seen some things, and you you have been in uh, in, in in churches and university settings. Um, how is this different? How is this moment different? You know, I'm I'm thinking about. Uh, certainly the, the idea of new wineskins for what God is doing, but also how are you reading our circumstances? In other words, how are you reading the lay of the land and, and what we see in the news and the kind of political landscape as a reconciler? Mm-hmm. How are you interpreting the signs of the times? Wow. Great question. I would say that for most of my ministry, and I've been doing this uh, for probably 30 years, if not a little bit more than that. So I've been doing it a long time. And for the most part, I truly believed that the problem with the church was that we just didn't understand that reconciliation was a biblical value. That if I could convince the church and preach hard enough and be biblically rigorous enough and really demonstrate the integrity of the text, that it was almost like we got discipled the first time, right, and came to Jesus, and nobody told us that when we got reconciled to God, we also got reconciled to each other. It, we, somehow we missed it. And, and so we came into this door of faith through it's me and Jesus. Jesus is my personal savior. Jesus has come into my heart. So when you start talking about reconciliation, immigration, mass incarceration, anything that had to do with systems, people wonder, what does that have to do with me? My kid doesn't go to that school because the personal lens of salvation was the way we came to faith. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yes, y'all with me? So we got discipled this way. So when I came along way back in the day with this message of reconciliation and started talking about how the cross was not just vertical, but the cross is vertical, talk to me, and horizontal. We missed the horizontal piece. Amen. We came to Jesus and God saved and we were walking along with the Lord. And then here I come talking about that we didn't get the whole thing. And people were like, on all churches, not just, but people just kind of, oh, really? What, what? And so I thought if I could just show people from Genesis to Revelation how this was a part of the intention of God, that we would have like this wake up, aha, and kind of go, oh, Oh, we missed it. And we would come to faith, and then we would put the whole cross together, and we would be this reconciled body of Christ. Well, (laughs) then the election came, and I saw Christians in a way that I had never, 
I knew the old judgmental Christians. I understood us. We had a certain morality about what was good and what was right and what was acceptable behavior and immoral behavior. And it seems like all of that kind of judgmental stuff that used to be how we chose people as our leaders, either in the church or outside the church, that seemed to no longer matter or in the same way that it used to. And it confused me. I don't know if you felt confused, but the the categories of what I understood the church using to make a decision about things from a biblical perspective, all of that seemed to be pushed off the table. And it crushed me because back to the Bible, when um, John the Baptist now is at the place of wondering about being beheaded, and he sends his disciples again to Jesus, and this time he has a new question. Question number two was, first one was, why don't you fast like we do and do all the ritual things that we do? Next question is, are you the one or should we look for another? Did we give our lives for the right thing? Are you the one? John is really facing death and he's really wondering, did I get it right? And I found myself in the same place because of the election. I wondered, have I preached the gospel to a church that I thought just needed to understand scripture? And where is I wrong? Was it not about the Bible the whole time? Mm. But was it really about power and white supremacy? And it broke my heart. And so I am finding myself trying to figure out how do you preach about that? How do you dismantle that? Because I am no longer um, convinced that this is about not understanding scripture. I'm finding people twist scripture to make this seem right. And I am mad with the church. And I'm mad with our complicity in trying to make wrong look right. And um, it's messing up our witness. And I think people have a right to be concerned about what it means to be a Christian. And I know young people who won't use the word evangelical, and I understand why they won't. So, uh, and, and, and if, it does, and, and if the answer to this next question is, I don't know, because it's just too soon, that, that's, that's totally fine. But for, for those who, who sympathize with that, who resonate when you, when you describe that experience, um, where, where, where do we lean right now? Uh, you know, where are, the, where are the priorities as it relates to building community and to doing uh, a ministry that is uh, kind of integrated in the way that you described earlier? Um, you know, if, if something has been revealed for what it actually has always been, um, you know, one option is to just chuck the whole thing. And we're seeing some of that, right? You know, there, there is this tendency, well, I'm just not... Uh, I'm, I'm done with church. I'm done with Christianity. That that is that is a response, and it sounds like you're you're sympathetic to that. Um, but if not that, then 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 what? You know, what's the what, where are we pushing right? What are we building right now? What are we calling people to right yeah. now? When I first started doing ministry, like when I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to do and how I was going to do it. Now, I've been doing racial reconciliation since the early 80s. Um, but then I went through phases after I left campus ministry. I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, for any of you who know that ministry. And so I was on staff with InterVarsity. Then I launched my own ministry and I called it because I believe God told me to call it Overflow. So, and it's, but listen at that name, Overflow, right? That sounds like big and majoring, overflowing, more than enough, right? Well, it was hard, and it it didn't quite overflow, but but I tried my best to make it overflow. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you that. I have repented, and I have converted. I am no longer trying to be big. Oh, Brenda wanted overflow. Who wants to be a part of like a small thing? We all want to be a part of a big thing. But now, since the election, and again, I've had a hard time, so I would not be telling the truth if I didn't say that it continues to, to, to concern me at a level I don't have language for. However, I can hear now the words of Jesus differently, that the road to the to the uh, to destruction is broad, but the road to the kingdom is narrow. 
Now, I heard that. I really did, even when I was trying to overflow. I heard that, but I don't think it registered. And so I was brokenhearted because 81% of people who identify themselves as Christians made a decision that broke my heart personally and that I thought was anti-scripture. 19% did not. And it hurt. But then I felt like Jesus said it would be just like that. That it really is not going to be a lot of people who choose the kingdom. And that why was I so surprised? Because I had an old wineskin in my head. Amen. Because what we have told ourselves is that the ministries that are blessed are big. And that the ministries where God is using us grow and overflow. Amen. So if you ask us, do we want to be a part of the 81% or the 19%? Tell the truth. Which one you want to be a part of? (laughs) I'm choosing 19. So I'm going, but I did choose 80. I wanted to be, I wanted my ministry to, you see? So my head is changing. My mind is shifting. I'm beginning to believe that that's right. Why was I so discouraged? I'm a part of the remnant. And so, and I had to be talked into this. My, my, a friend who coaches me said, they're, they're there now. They're there now. Because <laughs> I was going to quit every board I was on. <laughs> I was going, I was going to break them off a piece. I'm done. <laughs> don't invite me. I don't want to speak here anymore. I was like, <laughs> and she said, they're there now. She said, every time you get up to speak, and you are on a stage, I want you to know that as you look at them, whoever they are, 81% voted for what hurt you, but 19% is somewhere in that room. Preach to them. You're there for the 19%. And so I think Jesus will always have a remnant. I think we're a part of the remnant, and we might need to change our thinking about what we're looking for. Because I think Jesus is right. The road to the kingdom is the narrow one, and not many people travel on it. Uh, I want to make sure we leave time for some questions, and we could linger there a long time, um, the second offering. Here's something that you and I have talked about some. In in our church last year, we spent a lot of time thinking and talking about Sabbath and how do we as individuals and as a community practice a Sabbath rest on a regular basis. And, and it was a, a challenging year in many ways, but I think also a refreshing year for different ones of us. Um, I want you to share with us some of your experience in this work of reconciliation because there's, there's such a tendency to do and there's never a coming to the end of injustice and certainly of racial injustice. And um, there, there can be a lot of very earnest, eager people drawn to this work. Um, who then tire out, and, and for understandable reasons. How, how do you think about the role of Sabbath and of rest and of worship um, for, you know, not just the, the patching together, right, so that you can kind of limp along the way, but as really um, the, the kind of fundamental foundation and, and, and orientation of, of this racial reconciliation ministry? Great question and really relevant question, and I um, thought about it a little bit prior to coming um, as, I, as I looked at what we would talk about today. And I wanted to tell you that I think um, this has to do with longevity in ministry. Um, and so I want to tell you a story. I was on a flight, um, and I, you know those magazines that come with the airline. And so I was reading an airline magazine, and there was an interview with Bishop Desmond Tutu. And in this interview, he talked about the fact that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer while he was uh, chairing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And um, he said, now, I'll be the first to say that maybe I would have gotten prostate cancer anyway. I'm not just trying to spiritualize this and say, you know, being on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission made me get prostate cancer. He said, but I think those of us who do this work of reconciliation, who find ourselves having to be in the tension of of 
hurt and pain and injustice and having to deal with it, listen to it, forgive, hear egregious things. He said, I think we think of ourselves as dishwashers, like, like we're washing off the dirt of all the things we hear. He said, I think we're actually more like vacuum cleaners, that all of that pain and injustice, trauma that we hear and take in, read about the news cycle, the 24-hour news cycle where we can now hear of pain and atrocity and injustice constantly, globally. And he said that that goes somewhere. And if we're not careful, that causes dis-ease. And if we don't have some way to get that out of us, it lodges in us and produces things like maladies. And so he called us to Sabbath, to renewal, to rest, to self-care, that they go hand in hand. This call to reconciliation and the call to self-care and Sabbath have to be married or this work will kill us. We wrestle not yeah, against yeah, yeah. flesh and blood. Yeah, yeah. So anybody who thinks this yeah, is about yeah. marching alone yeah. is not. Yeah. And those of us who think that this is just about raising hell or telling City Hall we ain't taking it anymore, we must do that, but it's not just about that. There's an evil under all of this. Thank God for my little Pentecostal background. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak for y'all, yeah. but I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that that's not some Twilight Zone episode. I believe that there is evil. And behind the systems and the structures, there are powers and principalities. And that's what makes the church's approach different. We approach this with spiritual insight and spiritual weapons. And we don't fight this in our own strength. That's why... The, the call to Sabbath, to listen and to get another ear. I, I, I'll quit by saying this. Dr. King almost gave up because when you're doing it, even when you're good at it in your own strength, you come to the end of your own human resources. We're just not that good at it. We don't have enough in us humanly to take the anger, the threats, the unfriending and the nasty stuff folks stay on Facebook to you when you try to stand up for stuff. It's getting rough out here. And, and, and he said, God, I'm done. I don't have it anymore. And he sat down at a coffee at a kitchen table and had a prayer time with God. And whatever happened in that moment where God spoke to him and gave him some internal fortitude that he himself could not manufacture, the very next day he went off script and gave the I Have a Dream speech. He was given another speech that day, and it was going poorly. And somebody behind him said, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And the thing that we now see as one of the most iconic speeches of our lifetimes came when he put the manuscript away and started talking about what God showed him in prayer at the kitchen table. I have a dream. I've seen it. So I think that reconciliation is going to come out of some prophetic imagination, a creative third option, a new wineskin that we have not conceived of humanly. It will come from someplace else. That's why we've got to go into silence and solitude to hear something that doesn't come in the noise. God is going to win this, and God will use God's people to win, but we've got to take our marching orders from some place that's out of our own control. So I'm asking the church to fast, pray, seek the face of God, rest yourselves, and go to that place where it's so silent that all of a sudden a thought comes to you that you had just never thought about before. By a show of hands, how many people have ever had that happen where you're running or you're sitting by the beach or by the lake, and all of a sudden, a thought comes, and it was just because you were still. Anybody? That Sabbath. And it'll come more often the more we put ourselves in the place for that to happen. Mm. (laughs) What she said. (laughs) Sometimes y'all need to hear someone else say, 
Well, some of us have been saying. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I want to ask more questions, but I, I, we want to open it up. Um, so I have other ones here. So if you all are quiet for like five seconds, I'm going to go with my questions. So Pastor Michelle has a mic, and we just ask that you would raise your hand, and she will work her way uh, over to you. And uh, if you can ask a question, amen? Ask a question, amen? You want to make a statement, come up afterwards and ask me that you give me a statement afterwards, but ask a question. I think Susan over here, yeah? Oh, Dominique, okay. All right. Um, So my question is... You want to stand up and make it nice, okay? I know this, man. It's going to be nice. So when I leave Sankofa, one of the things I talk about is how race is a form of discipleship. It's not a form of Christian discipleship because the church has failed to claim race as an area or category of our discipleship. So I'd like to, one, hear you talk about that. But then also the other thing I want to talk about, ask, is within the midst of racial justice conversations, a lot of times we unwittingly leave behind gender. And so I'd like to ask you to talk about the, combi- the connection between uh, racial justice and gender justice. Yeah. And just as she's talking, Pastor Michelle, if you want to go over to Susan so we can get, just keep yeah. it rolling. I'm going to pass the discipleship question because he's working you on it right now. That? You see how but, she does And then that? I'll come back to gender, but discipleship. Well, I, so again, just to be brief, and, and I would actually encourage you all to talk with Dominique about this because I've heard him speak to this as well. But formation is something that is happening to us all the time. And, and generally, we're not aware of being formed. Um, so we wake up into particular systems and structures that uh, Reverend Brenda talked about already, and those things are at work on us. We are, our desires are being formed. What we want, what we love, what we long for, what we hate, what we distrust, those things are not baked into our DNA. They're, they're formed into us by the commercials that we, that we uh, watch, the, the, the shows that we watch, the, the literature that we hear, the, the very, very subtle, almost uh, subconscious uh, biases and how those things impact even very, very young children who, who might not even be able to talk yet, but who can sense a parent's reaction as they're... So all of these things are at, are at work in us, and, and the, in a racialized society, that kind of formation is happening on, uh, on us all of the time. And, and that, that's true about a lot of different things, but because our particular society is baked in uh, a racism and white supremacy at kind of very fundamental levels, those things are at work on our, on our bodies and our imaginations all the time. And so as Christian people, you know, how we think about discipling ourselves into something different has to, has to one, take that into account. <laughs> We have to tell the truth about that, and much of the church doesn't want to tell the truth about that. Much of the truth doesn't want to say on a Sunday morning, hey, we've all been discipled into white supremacy over the past seven days, so today we got to proclaim the truth and be discipled into something else. Amen? <clears throat> Amen? <laughs> all right. Uh, so so we, we, we start by telling the truth about that, but then I think secondly is we have to begin thinking about an alternative discipleship. What does the alternative look like? What's the formation? What are the attributes? What are the characteristics? What are the fruits of the Spirit that are different than what we have been discipled into? Okay, yeah, gender. No, that's good. That's good. I um, had a conversation this morning. I'm here because of some things happening at North Park, and so I had a conversation bright and early this morning, and I would say that there's a new conversation that's brewing. And I remember we started with the new wineskin. And this new conversation that's brewing is the gendered way that we have been taught to read Scripture. And even so as a woman in ministry, I even have had to break out of my own constructs of how I read and understand the text, because that's back to our discipleship. We've kind of thought of family and everything through a particular lens that we have received that really does kind of suggest um, various ways of even understanding our God. For example, yes, yes, the, right, the, 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 our God, our, our, our Trinitarian God, our expression of God, the third person of our Trinitarian God, it, Numa, is spirit, is female. And so, but if you said she, there would be the, uh, what? And so when Pastor Gail at my church referred to the spirit as she, 
people took her on about that. And so I'm asking you a question at a metaphysical level to say, there's something about the lens we've been given for even understanding our God and how we read and interpret the text. And it's been gendered in a way that makes it hard for us, male and female, to conceive of ourselves fully and wholly and read the text in a way that sees all people as Imago Dei. And I am learning that our theology, how we view God, impacts our anthropology, how we view each other. And our anthropology is dictating our sociology, how we are creating society together. And it's coming through a skewed lens. Mm -hmm. That's good, that's good, that's good. So I'm working because we got to say this differently. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an honor. I know I sound like I'm sucking up, but it is such an honor to have you. <laughs> and Pastor Dave, you've been holding out. I did not know she was your mentor. Um, so my question is that, um, so when I heard you speak about the, maybe the third uh, option from a prophetic time of prayer and solitude with God, did I hear you saying something like, you know, this whole election cycle and our current presidency it made you disillusioned with American progressivism in general, or was it just with the church? Because I think, in the, uh, yeah, so um, kind of the side note to that is before this election, I thought, you know, I'm pretty much a Democrat because um, maybe except for, like, issues of, I mean, classic evangelical, but abortion and, mm-hmm. and homosexuality, I'm like, this just sounds more biblical to me, but it, there, it wasn't clear. But I was like, I'm pretty much a Democrat. This sounds like this is the more biblical one to me. And then this thing made me think, yeah, like, maybe just the entire system is just not salvageable. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on what you meant by the third option. Was that a political thing or just something more with the church? Or? Well, my disillusionment with this with the whole thing. <laughs> so the church first, because I want more for yeah, us. I love right. us more. Right. So right. I expect more for us because right. we do have the truth, and it was supposed to set us free. Yeah. And so I just wanted us to be moved by our biblical convictions. And some of the people who are on the current president's uh, advisory board I know. And one woman in particular, she happens to be white, but she's made her whole career off preaching in black churches. Yeah. And, at, and I'm, I'm upset. Yeah. Uh, with her, and I'm upset with all people who follow her because it's so much, it's duplicit. And the second book I wrote, A Credible Witness, it's because I am motivated by credibility. I want to be authentic. And so I think it was the, the lack of honesty, credibility, truthfulness. And so I was confused about the church broken about that, but I think progressiveness too, because in order for 81% of the church, but then it was a lot of women who participated in saying, well, it doesn't matter if somebody gropes women, and I'm thinking, but it does matter. You know, so all of that. So what I thought was progressive, I didn't see being progressive. I thought as I saw it as what was now called the word of the year. The Oxford Dictionary every year comes out with what they call the word of the year. They look at what word has kind of defined our culture for that year. In 2016, it was post-truth. That was the word of the year. Last year, 2016, it was complicit. And so I was concerned and upset with everybody who was complicit. Does that make, does that make sense? That was what broke my heart. I, um, I, yeah, so that, I, I think I'm forgetting a part of your question, but, but my heart was, was broken with our complicity. And I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming from women. I did not see that coming from people who were Christians. I just didn't see the, the amount of complicity that I, and most people won't even say that they are in agreement with it. Um, so I also was heartbroken by not even being honest that this is what I honestly think or feel. It was almost like, no, I don't, but yes, I do. And that was also hard for me to figure out. Does that make sense? Who's next? Hi. Um, I'm really new in these type of conversations, and it's been a while for me to soak this in. Um, But so far, I've always felt like even language, it's in a very early stage, at least for me, in my experience, uh, very early stage into to talk about these situations. Like even kind of terms of uh, people of color and 
this still holds a lot of uh, otherness. Yes. <laughs> uh, holds a lot of otherness into the context. Like we're talking about inequality or looking things different and colors. There's no bigger color or better color than other, right? And, and this still feels a lack or I perceive a lack of, of language appropriate that hasn't even been developed, like trying to build into this like, new yeah. like wineskins, that it's still not happening yet in order to have the proper conversations. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, that's what I've been feeling for the last probably like three and a half years and then still whatever new terms that are like in vogue, it's just still not right to address the term. Uh, it, is it something that you feel like still like these, I, I'm getting, I still, people of color is still something that just like, ah, uh, it's still yeah, 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 yeah. not right, the, the right term yeah, yeah, yeah. because, uh, or, or white, uh, it still keeps the otherness that, that bridge that we have to cross at, at, in, even in the language I have, as we yeah. say, but will be any other word or term maybe yeah. next year we'll have yeah. another word dictionary that will be the one that I to use it, right? But, uh, yeah. The, am I the only mm-hmm. one here in this? Good. Good. I love it. Tell me your name. David. Hey, David. Oh, David. Hey, David. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say to you that uh, while you were speaking, uh, every now and then when, uh, when I hear something that rings really true, I can feel it in my body. I just feel like that's true. And so thank you for your comment because I think that it, it, it's indicative of the fact that whatever God is doing is going to require new, new new words, new ways of talking about it. And the truth is, our language is limited, you know. Um, I won't even make a comment about why I think we, then people pray in tongues or something because I think there's this place where we're not able to articulate the, the depth of something and we do the best we can, but it falls short, right? So one, I'd say that I think you're right on target, that there's something about new. But here's something I want to say to all of us. I think we should look to artists in a way that we've not looked to artists before. Amen. I, I love preaching, but I'm telling you, if you hear how spoken word artists put words together and what they're able to create, Martin King, when he preached, or that era of preachers, Gardner Taylor, I can name folks who, my Lord, just the way they put a word together, crafted a sermon, they painted pictures, and you could see what they were talking about. The art of homiletical preaching is beginning to diminish, and people are having like conversations, but it's not painting pictures, but the spoken word artist. Uh, I am a big fan of some folks who are saying things in the earth right now and I think that the artists might give us new language Mm. so I would say perhaps something that we're looking for new is to know that the preachers aren't the places that we're necessarily going to get the next uh, clear uh, or not the only people I want to still be a preacher so don't just (laughs) (laughs) I like what we do preachers we got a role amen we still got a role but I think we are looking for artists I would invite you to invite more artists. Let them bring their music. Let them bring their ideas. Let them bring their spoken word. Let them bring their... They, 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 the artists. Actors, artists. I think they need to rise up. Amen. Amen. Is there a role of evangelism or discipleship that the 19% has to the 81%? How ought they to interact? Why you got to go there? Wow. We just want to feel self-righteous about being the 19%. want to be 19. <laughs> me. Me. <laughs> That's good, Dennis. Answer him. <laughs> okay, I'll start on my handoff. I think the answer is yes, and I think especially those of us who are white, because uh, the, 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 the 81, 83% uh, are white. Um, which isn't to say that only white people vote in a particular way, but um, I do think that part of the, the narrow way of discipleship uh, for those of us who are white and committed to this vision of reconciliation is uh, to family members, uh, is to neighbors, is to those uh, spaces um, where that, that certain kind of discipleship is happening all the time, is taken for granted. 
Um, and so when Jesus talks about this way being costly, about um, there being a sword that divides uh, people from one another, that's a real thing. And we don't ask for that. We don't want that. We pray against that, work hard against that. We're peaceable people, obviously. But um, I think the short answer is, is absolutely yes. And I would say, again, as a white person, to white people, that's not something we outsource. That's not something we ask somebody else to do. That's something we take responsibility, uh, take responsibility for. Yeah. I'm grateful for your question as well. It took me a minute because it was such a powerful and honest question. All of yours are. And, and I'm, I'm being challenged by them. So thank you. This is like the church being the church. I love this. I love your participation. You made me think of the fact that I'm working right now on, on a book out of, uh, based on Esther because I'm looking at what does it look like, right, for us to do what you just asked. And so I think there's a role that Mordecai must must play, and I think Mordecai is the, the prophetic voice outside the palace that laments. So for those of you who haven't read Sun Chan Ra's book, Prophetic Lament, I think there's a role that we should cry out and call attention to the reality of what's really happening to people because I think people in the palace literally just have lost touch with the destruction that is happening outside of the sanctity of wherever it is they've become insulated. So I think there's a Mordecai role to be played in calling Esther out and to in, right? But then once Esther gets in... Just so you know, that was our Bible study lesson last week. Are you serious? (laughs) In all our community groups and Bible studies. Look at God! (laughs) And and then I would say... um, Back to the new thing, when Esther finally decides she's going to get in the game and do this prophetic role to the 81 person and take it on, speak truth to power, she goes into prayer. Back to Sabbath, prayer and fasting. She's like, I don't really want to do this. I guess I have to do this. I'm going to do this, but I am going to seek the face of God first. And so back to this place of going into God's presence, and then she comes out. Watch this. And as opposed to coming out like, I'm going to do this, I'm ready for the game, put me in, coach. She runs in there. She's scared to death as she's confronting the the power structures that she must, right? And then when given an audience, she invites them to dinner. Really? You know, my thought is, come on, Esther, this is your time. You're supposed to really bring it. I bring that up to say this. Our evangelism to the 81% is going to look radically different than we think. Who goes into power structures and invites somebody to dinner? I would have told that man everything. (laughs) Right there on the throne. He would have heard the whole thing. But I think Jesus is going to give us the spirit of God. She is going to give us subversive strategies that are going to confound the wise. That's why we seek the face of God and the heart of God. Because we think in our own ingenuity that we know what to do. But I think God will cause God's kingdom to invade this place. And yes, we are to do it. But how is going to look so mind-boggling different that we've got to seek God to get the strategy? That's where you all say amen. One more. Can we do one more question? Is there somebody else who really would like? How about somebody on this side? I'm on this side over here. Come on this side. I like y'all. So going off that a little bit, one of the things that I notice about the work of reconciliation is it, and this is, I think books are important and words are really important. I have a lot of value in that. But it often leaves behind like the educational diversity of the work. And so what thoughts or strategies, even in like Esther invited them to dinner, do you have about that? How can we follow the full work. Does that make sense? I don't understand educational diversity. Help me. Yeah, so just even books themselves are written at a certain, like, grade level, right? And so um, even the way we speak, the way we preach, all of those things, when we, at least for me, I can have a tendency 
to lean on there and stay there for the conversation instead of oftentimes those the most highly impacted by the systemic justice, mm-hmm. it's systemic injustice. Mm-hmm. Does that make more sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to start, and then I'm going to pass it over to Pastor D. Pass it over to Pastor okay, I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Michelle to answer. Um, <laughs> I was passing, and he passed. So here's what I'd say. If, if I think you're absolutely right, I think that what part of two, two answers to, a, to your question. One is I think who is determining or shaping the conversation. I, it seems like we're still letting a certain echelon of people determine what the issues are. And so I'm learning, even for myself, because I've done the whole doctorate thing and everything, right? And I understand people wanting to be responsible with the pulpit and only letting certain people talk who've been trained, but we're almost creating an echelon of people who get the mic. And they usually have gone through mucho, mucho, (laughs) you know what I mean? School, all of that, and it's skewed us a certain way. I'm, so that's one thing I think we got to watch. Whose, whose agenda, whose concerns are shaping, shaping the conversation? And often it's those of us who are seen as having been well-educated. So I think you raise a highly important issue just by putting it in the room. The second thing I would say right now, if I could be in a room with people and, and learn, I would be in a room completely with creative artist types. I think I want to hear how artists see what's not visible. When they write a song, they write a song that comes from someplace else. Or when they create art, they haven't seen it before. I'm looking for people who have this creative ability to see what's not seen. And I think I've got to get out of my dominant culture-shaped head into people who look into the unknown, and it's not scary to go there. I'm a left brain, and I need to get around a lot of right brain people. Um, I, mean, I think that, that covers it. I think what, what I would add to that is um, the onus is, and the impetus should be in us, those of us who are educated, right? Because what happens is education is not just giving you knowledge. It shapes you in a particular way, and so then it shapes the way we see in a particular way. And so then we have to always be willing to, to check ourselves. So even when we think we are pushing for right things, where does that come from? Does it come from a place of wanting to be comfortable? Because then that'll, that'll blind us to, um, to certain kind of issues. I think nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to, to... We don't embrace struggle and pain. And so anything that will cause us to sacrifice too much, we have a tendency to resist. So um, I think that... that we have to be mindful, prayerful about who we are not seeing and who we are not hearing from and why. Be honest about why. Why we won't give them a, a mic. Why we won't go to the spaces and hear what those voices are saying. Um, but that's- Amen. Amen. We could be here all day. Um, you can grab uh, Reverend Dr. Brenda before she has to leave in a few minutes if you want to just kind of say anything encouraging to her about her time with us. Um, so two things. I need you to thank her right now profusely, please. <laughs> stay standing. Stay standing. Uh, this ministry is a fruit of your ministry. And so I hope you can receive uh, what the Spirit is doing among us as evidence of what the Spirit has borne in your own life. And I hope your heart can be encouraged. And I just ask Dr. Brenda to pray very specifically for you. And then we'll do a couple other things before we're done. Amen. Lord God, thank you for the privilege of speaking a word of blessing over this congregation. Lord God, in my heart, I can sense that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. It hasn't entered into our imagination that which you have prepared for this congregation. And so open the eyes of their heart, Lord. I pray that you would give them imagination and that you would bring into this congregation, I sense two strong polarities, God. One, age wisdom. Rise up, Lord God, and embolden those of our seniors in this place. For they have seen, Lord God, what we have not seen. 
and they know what we do not know. I thank you for the youth of this congregation, but I pray for the balance of the aged and the wise. Help them to know that their place is not forgotten and it is desperately needed. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Father God, I sense that there are mothers and fathers of the faith from whom we need to hear. And so raise them up and bless them, oh God. Help them to know that you have called them to the kingdom for such a time as this. I thank you, Lord God, that I'm learning that history repeats itself. And just because we have not seen it is not that it has not happened. And Lord, those who have seen it before, help them to help us to figure out a way to navigate what they've seen us come through. Lord God, there are also voices that will give us hope because if you've done it before, you'll do it again. And I bless you for them. And Lord God, I thank you for those that are creative. I thank you, God, that you're going to raise up in this place, a place for the arts. I thank you for the children who will be nurtured in this place and the childlike insight and faith that even they bring. Open imagination in this place, oh God. Help them to see what they cannot see, dream what they do not know. Come Holy Spirit, as you were in the beginning, I pray that you would so brood over this congregation and out of what seems like nothing, speak new life. Let it teem with new life in a way that would astound us all. Speak, Lord. Brood over us, Lord. Breathe, Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of the Lord rise in this place. Thank you for the worshipers. Increase their numbers. Oh, God, because where you are exalted, you draw people to yourself. Help them to know that worship is not arbitrary. It is necessary. Make this a worshiping church. Not in form and fashion, but in spirit and in truth. We bless you and we lift you. We expect you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Grab a seat. Thank you. One more time. Can we one more time thank Dr. Granger? Thank you again for uh, worshiping with us today. I need just five more minutes of your time, and then uh, and we can start getting hungry for the chili cook-off that's uh, just around the corner. Um, if, if you're a guest today, would you do us a favor and just drop that welcome card in the offering basket when it goes by in just a minute? And then we need your prayer requests and praise reports. And so please have those ready to go in the offering basket uh, when it does go by here in just, uh, in just a second. Before we do that, though, there's a couple of folks who I want us to pray for. Anytime that we have uh, visiting pastors or ministers with us, we like to... Uh, honor them and pray for them because we know uh, the nature of this work, particularly when there's a reconciliation bent to that. And so we have some friends from the West Coast here. I'm going to ask them just to stand up. We don't have to preach or anything, but you all just stand up. Uh, uh, Rob and Brent are here from the West Coast, Washington, California. Would you greet them? And then, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. John Houghton, would you stand? John leads the regional uh, Young Life Ministry, so he's here today as well. And then Pastor Neil is in the back. And Lady Neil, would you stand up too, our ministry partners here? Y'all stay standing, please. Do we have any other visiting ministers or pastors with us today? My dad and my mom are here, so uh, welcome them. You all stand up where you are. Um, So we're, uh, again, we're not trying to elevate anybody above anybody else, but we do honor the call to serve God's church. Amen? Amen. And so let's just, uh, yeah, why do you keep sitting down? They do kind of look like brother. That's the West Coast pastor style, I think. So uh, I'm going to ask the rest of you just to extend your hand in blessing and prayer as I pray for each of these ministers. Lord God, we thank you uh, for the call to ministry. We thank you for the the sacrifices and the joys uh, that could be testified to this morning by each one of these women and men. Uh, We thank you that they could sojourn with us in worship today. Uh, We receive the blessing that they bring with them from their communities and their churches. And we acknowledge out loud our unity with each of those congregations scattered all over this country. we got all kinds of divisions, all kinds of things to feel discouraged about. But we're going to be glad and happy this morning that your church will not be defeated by the gates of hell. And so we pray your blessing over each of these pastors and ministers. God, encourage their hearts the rest of this day. 
give them fresh visions and dreams for the ministry that you've called them to, each one in their place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you just thank these folks? Okay, now you can sit down. Ushers, would you come forward to receive our offering? Um, As they're coming, I have uh, two copies of Dr. Brenda's book. All you need to do is commit to reading it this year. One, okay, Rita over here, and uh, one person on this side over here, Don over here. Okay, that's how, that's how the grace of God works. It's just available. You just got to reach your hand up and take it. So, um, so you all read that and then report back to us. Um, but again, please put your offering and, uh, as well as the, 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 the guest cards and the welcome cards here um, the Young Life Chili Cook-Off starts in one hour, so if you're sticking around for that, I'm sure, Susan, we can help, right? So see Susan. If you have not registered already, find Susan, and you can uh, save $5 by registering in the next few minutes. Is that how that works, right? And then I believe Dominique is still here. He's got to run in a few minutes. So if you're interested in talking to Dominique about his book, about a Christian response to mass incarceration, I just ask that you make a beeline to his table and talk to him. His book's available for $15. Um, and, and again, he will have to leave in a few minutes. So um, I'm going to say, you know what, not even going to pray for our offering because we're done. So just stand, receive the benediction. Thank you again for being with us this morning. And now um, go in the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus who you worship today. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit who enlivened our hearts and our minds and our imaginations this morning. Go knowing that you are beloved by the Father, by the Creator who knows you and who loves you. Go holding your questions before our God. Go knowing that the mystery of new wines and new wineskins, though it may be uh, at times nerve-wracking for us, is not beyond the scope or the wisdom of our God. Go knowing that you have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. Go curious, wondering how God is going to call you to be present to his beautiful activity this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Go in peace. See you next week.